0: Well, good morning. If you're new at MCC, um, guys, doing good stuff. You're coming in at a really good time. I'm excited that you would maybe take some time out of your weekend to be here with us. If it is your first time, I'd love to have a chance to meet you back there at the welcome table afterwards. There's a little welcome kind of welcome card right there, next step card what we call it. You can fill that out. There's different information. That's something that is not really just for first-time guests. If you've got some things we can be praying for you on, we're a church that believes in the power of pray. When we work, we may get things done. When God works, things happen. And we believe that. So if there's things we can be praying for you on, take a pen, take a card, fill it out, and put those in boxes back there in the back. Um, We're starting a brand new series today called Pretend. And I'm going to pray, and we're going to get into it. Sound good? Yeah. Cool. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. We thank you for all you're doing, all you have done, and all that we believe you're going to continue to do. Jesus, I know in a room like this and everybody who's watching online, God, there's all sorts of things going on. And we show up this morning, God, not to just uh, be motivated, not to just, you know, feel bad or feel good, uh, but to come to a place where we have an encounter with you. Don't leave us different uh, or don't leave us the same. God, we all want to leave out of these moments different because we had an encounter with the God of the universe through his word, through the letters that have been passed down for generations to generation to meet us right now in this room or online. And God, we thank you that that's what we get to be a part of. Draw near to us now. In your son's name, Amen. Hey, a few months ago, um, or probably a few weeks ago, actually, I had this video sent to me uh, that was taken at a Braves game, and this video was sent, and it was a video of this kid, and this kid was. Really, like a lot of kids do, he was longing to be able to go to a baseball game and get a baseball. That's just a thing. You want to get a foul ball. You want to get a ball from the players. That's one of the things that you want to do. And so this kid is at this game, and a longtime member, Barry Hyatt of MCC, he sent me this video, and he said, you know, this kid's you know mixing business and pleasure and and really doesn't know what's going on. And what was happening is the kid showed up to the game with two jerseys. The Yankees were in town, boo Yankees. Uh, the Yankees were in town, the Braves were playing the Yankees. And so what this kid did is he had his uh, Freddie Freeman Braves jersey on underneath, and then his, he either swindled or, or whatever. I'm going to blame parenting uh, for these poor decision-making skills. Um, he got a Yankees jersey and wore that over his Braves jersey. Now, the reason he was doing this is he would put his Yankee jersey on while the Yankees were in the field, so that he could go down to talk to in their players into giving him a baseball. And then, in between innings, when it would be the Braves' time to go to the field, he would take the Yankees jersey off, and ha- now he has his Braves jersey on underneath, and he would go down and try to get the Braves players to do the same thing. Now, when you listen to Barry tell a story, one of the things that he points out is that the kid was getting incredibly frustrated because his master plan wasn't working. And he was just having to do wardrobe changes every time in between innings. And what was happening is that the people around we're both kind of booing him. It was a yeah, Braves-Yankee Yankee game, and a lot of times what, what you know about the Yankees is they have one of the biggest, biggest bandwagons ever of any sports team. And so when the Yankees are in town, a lot of people will come to watch them play. And so at, the, at Truist Park, where the Braves play, there's about 50-50, Braves fan, Yankees fans. Now, if you went up to a, a Yankees fan who was at that game, and you said, hey, check out that kid, that's a great Yankees fan, right? They would go, that's not a Yankees fan. A Yankees fan wouldn't wear a Freddie Freeman jersey. And if you talk to one of us, a Braves fan at the game, if you were there, you would go, that kid's not a Braves fan. A real Braves fan would never wear an Aaron Judge or whoever Yankees jersey that is. See, he was doing what he thought he needed to do, pretending to be what he thought he needed to pretend to be in order to get what he wanted. Now, we all have that little kid inside of us, that something inside of us that is willing to pretend to be whatever we need to be in different moments, depending on who we're trying to get something from, we will try to do whatever it takes. And sometimes we will put on a mask, we will put on a jersey, we will put on a debt, we will put on whatever it may take sometimes to get what we think we need from somebody else. And Jesus, he knows that we have this propensity in our heart to long to get something from somebody else. And he also knows that we have the propensity in our hearts, in our lives, to, to pretend to be something we're not, To get what that thing is. That's one of the things that breaks his heart the most. Is because in those moments, we're not being who he created us to be. And so we talked about this series being called Pretend because we want you to know what is at stake when your faith is fake. When it's a pretend faith. When it's something that's not really real. Because whether it's for a sporting event or for a church gathering, how many of you have ever came to church before? And walking through those doors, or sitting in a chair, or even singing a song, or even, heaven forbid, listening to a sermon, you were doing it on pretend. I was pretend listening to that sermon when reality was, I kept going down. And I can see you guys down there. Just you're not nodding to the sermon. You're checking the sports score, or you're checking, you know, something else. Like you're you're, you're scrolling, pretended to worship. You know. You're just lip singing. Hey. Pretended to have not just gotten in a fight with the kids in the car on the way here. And you walk into the door, you just you know what dragging the kids through and you get to the door. Hi, welcome. Glad to see you. Yes, have a great day. The Lord is great. He greatly to be praised. Yes. Yes. Yeah, I mean we all do that. Like it's easy to do that here too, right? Like it's like if there was ever like like a place or an hour, the most pretending happens, like, man, it's it's probably church. And Jesus, as he's walking again, that's what we've been in, we're going through the entire Sermon on the Mount, we're breaking into many series. Here in this passage, Jesus has now, up until this point, he's talked about what really is the blessed life. And he's talked about, uh, it's a life that is not what you would expect. It's a life where you're poor in spirit, it's a life where you're mourning, it's a life where you're meek, it's a life where you're hungry and thirsting for righteousness. And he says, uh, this whole kingdom is now flipped on its head. And from there, he says, I want to tell you your new identity. Your new identity is you are salt and light in a dark and decaying world. And he says, if you're going to be a part of this kingdom that that I'm now instituting, it's going to mean that your righteousness, and we're going to unpack what that word means in a second, your righteousness has to exceed the most righteous people you've ever met. In that day and age, the term he used was to identify this group of people called the Pharisees. He says, if you want to be a part of my kingdom, your righteousness has to exceed the Pharisees. And then he goes to unpack and pick apart how their righteousness wouldn't cut it. He says, righteousness is not something that starts on outward action, righteousness starts in the heart. And he takes it that deeper level. And here, what we see him doing in these things that we're gonna get unpacked in this series, is he now talks about, okay, what does real righteousness look like? Not this fake stuff. Not this, I just pretend. Not this, well, I want people to know that I'm generous. Or I want to post my pictures from the mission trip. Or I want to, you know, when it's my turn to pray at, at group, I'm going to make sure to pray this, this, this prayer with really awesome vocabulary and long, and my sentences are going to make sense. He says, let's get to real. I don't know about you, but if there's one thing that I feel like I've been craving over the last two years of life on planet Earth, it's for something Real. Just, just even, even like relationships with people, just to know like they're real. That, that, that's, that's really who they are. I can trust them. Something real happened. It wasn't a show. It wasn't a commercial. There was no alternative motive to try to trick me or to get me to buy something. It was just real. So Jesus enters into that. So you can grab your Bible and get this. Go to Matthew chapter, wait for it, six. There we go. Been in five forever. We made it to six. That's what I'm talking about. Made it to six. Okay, so Matthew 6 is where we're at. Jesus is about to walk through what's at stake when your faith is fake. Matthew 6, 1. We're going to spend a lot of time on 6, 1. That's like, if you don't get 6, 1, you're not going to get anything that he says for the rest of this first half of chapter 6. So 6, 1, he says, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your heavenly father. So right off the bat, we, we kind of hear the bookends of this verse, all right? be careful, no reward. So if nothing else, we miss that stuff in the middle. We're like, be careful, no reward. Okay, I want rewards, so what do I need to be careful about? So we follow back up. Again, uh, here at MCC, one of the things we've been doing as we've been going through the Sermon on the Mount is we go word by word, verse by verse, because that's the best way to understand what's really being said. So he says, be careful, which is his way of saying, pay attention from this moment forward. And it's also his way of saying, if you are just coasting, if you're just continuing on as business as usual, if you're just caught in the lazy river of American Christianity, and you're not paying attention, you're not being careful, there's a difference between being on a lazy river and being in a class five rapid. You don't have to pay attention on a lazy river. But when you're in the potentially life-threatening rapids that is life in 2021, you need to be careful. So he says, be careful. And he says, not to practice your righteousness in front of others. Now, okay, let's unpack what he's talking about there. He says, be careful not to practice your righteousness. So let's talk about that. What, are, what, what does it mean to practice righteousness? Before we get to the practice part, we gotta understand what righteousness is. You've heard me talk about this before. In scripture, righteousness is, is wrapped up in two different types of righteousness. Our righteousness is displayed in two different forms. There's two different ones. So righteousness is both what scholars and you've heard me talk about before here is imputed righteousness. That means it's righteousness that has been put into my life by God. That's where we see Bible verses like he who had no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. Righteousness, the imputed righteousness gets put into our life when us by faith, we put our hope and our trust in Jesus, what he did on the cross and that he rose from the grave. When we put our faith and our trust in that, then the righteousness of Christ is now ours. So when God looks at us, he sees what his son has done for us, and he looks at us and he says, you are righteous. You are right in my eyes. I approve of you, not because of you, but I approve of you because you have accepted what my son has done for you. It's imputed righteousness. The other part is this our concept called imparted righteousness. This is where righteousness has become a working part of my life. It has been put in me, but it is a working out part. This is why when you see someone get saved or someone comes out of the waters of baptism, they're not just magically never say a cuss word again. They don't just magically not love juicy gossip anymore. Like they, they get baptized and they kind of still want those things, all right? They don't just magically become, I am the walking embodiment of righteousness. That's not what happens when people get baptized. Or maybe it is somewhere, but our water doesn't do that to people. What's happening there is a 50 cent church word, uh, sanctification. It's, it's my life, is being sanctified, not into a better version of myself. If you go to church or listen to a preacher or you're following somebody online and they talk about becoming the best version of yourself, newsflash, the best version of Trent Shumake is gonna burn in hell. The best version of you will do the same thing. Jesus did not go through what he went through on a cross and rise from the grave to make you a better version of you. He went through all that so that you could be transformed into his image. Sanctification is what makes it happen. So, where imputed righteousness is saying, Jesus, you are my Savior, I am saved from the punishment that I deserved, the imparted righteousness is Jesus saying, Okay, now I've got to be Lord of your life. So, righteousness is the twofold combination of, of me saying, Jesus, you are my Savior. And you are my Lord, you are my savior in that my eternal destination is fully secure. I am saved by my faith in you, but you are also my Lord. And so every day of every breath that I have left on this planet earth is gonna be in surrender to your Lordship. My handles are off of the controls of this life and it is now you living and operating through me, okay? That's the imparted righteousness. And that's what he's talking about right here because you can't practice Imputed righteousness, it's already given to you, it's, it's theirs, it's a secure, it's a standing. Imparted righteousness, you do practice. It is something you live out on a daily basis. And Jesus is gonna walk through, here in this section of Sermon on the Mount, three places where he shows us what these practices of righteousness are. The first one we're gonna talk about today is giving to the needy, having a generous heartbeat. Next, he's gonna talk about prayer. That's where he introduces the Lord Prayer. That's another practice of righteousness. And the third practice of righteousness that we're gonna work through in this series, is fasting, I can't wait to preach that message to you guys, it's gonna be awesome. So so giving, praying, and fasting. He says, these are practices of righteousness. Now, okay, we got that? Everybody kinda tracking with me so far? Yes, okay, cool. He says, be careful not to do those practices of righteousness in order to be seen by other people. What, okay. Well, wait a minute, Jesus. I thought I remember back in Matthew 5 when he said, I am the city on a hill and I'm supposed to do my good deeds and people should see those things. Well, what's going on here? So like in what in chapter 5, you're saying, do good things and let people notice. In chapter 6, you're saying, don't let my right hand know what my left hand is doing. Even I can't notice. What's, where, where do we land there? Here's what he's saying. And you catch it in the small little words he says here. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them this is one of the biggest life lessons i can give you is understand the why behind the what see jesus is saying your why behind what you were doing practicing those righteous things your why was not for the glory and honor of god your why was to do those things to be seen by other people so that they would take notice of those things that those would be those practices of righteousness And here he says, when you're doing those things, whether it's giving, praying, fasting, when you're doing those things in order to be seen by others, what's happening is you are saying that the righteousness I get, which to put righteousness in a word, like if you had to explain righteousness to a fourth grader, which again, that's probably a good thing to put us kind of all on that level when it comes to spiritual stuff. Because I think sometimes we're like, you know, don't let a fourth grader come to me and ask me what the, who the Holy Spirit is. Don't let a fourth grader ask me what righteousness is. But let's put those cookies down on the shelf so that we can have those baseline understandings. Righteousness is knowing that I have the approval of God. That's I have the approval of God. Like he looks at me and he goes, yeah, it's God's face looking my way, pleased. I have your approval, God. I don't know, that, that, that may be really hard for some of you to believe because you have a really high view of your sin and a really low view of Jesus. So he says, okay, your righteous acts are the things that make evident to the world looking around that you have my approval. But when you do it to gain the approval of the world, what happens is, you no longer have my approval. It, it, it's, 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 it's this tension between righteousness and pretentiousness. And and that's what he's wading into. And again, he's hearkening back to the Pharisees. He's going to lean into them a little bit. But he's saying, they think they're righteous when the reality is all they are is pretentious. Now, that may not be a word that we're super familiar with, but I want to show you a definition. I hope I can unpack it in a way that makes sense. This is what the word pretentious means. I'm just going to put it up on the screen for you. Pretentious. It means attempting to impress by affecting greater importance, talent, culture, et cetera, than is actually possessed. That's what it means to be someone who is pretentious. And right there in the middle of the word pretentious is what? Pretend. It's pretend. I'm pretending to be more important than I really am. I'm labeling myself an influencer. When I'm not. And from the spiritual side of things, what he's saying here is, is when we do these things to have other people notice them, what we're pretending to have is more of the approval of God. So it's as if we're saying, hey, look at how much I give. Look how awesome my prayer life is. Look at how blessed I am. Now you approve of that, right? And what God is saying is the moment that you're trying to get everybody else to notice those things that you're doing and to get their approval, like, well done, great job, gold star for you. What's happening is God is removing his gold star and going, no, I, you lost my approval there. I still approve of you because of my son, but I don't approve of your motives behind what you're doing. I'm not for it. So the big principle in this is motive matters. Your motivation behind your giving, your motivation behind your praying, your motivation behind your fasting, it is critical. Your motive matters. And so the question becomes, okay, well, why do we have this propensity? to maybe brag about what we give, to maybe um, share some things that are our things that make us righteous. Well, I do go to church, or I do this, or I do give to the needy, or or whatever. What is it within us that longs to do those things so that other people may know about us? I think the root is in insecurity, a lack of self-confidence, because of a God confidence is not there. I think we are insecure and we need other people's approval to feel like we fit in here. Well, I wanna be approved by them. I wanna really know I fit in. I wanna know, I want them to think I'm moral and I have good standings and I'm a, a good person. And so we do these things to be noticed by them. But while that's happening, God's going, you, okay, you don't have the ability. This is a principle that's been hard for me to grasp in my life because I'm a recovering um, approval addict is that my approval appetite, every single person in this room, every person watching on, you have an approval appetite. It's hardwired in you by God to be approved by uh, people at school, to be approved by uh, parents, to be approved by a boss, to be approved by what? But here's what you need to understand. When your approval priorities get out of whack and that appetite gets out of whack and you start longing for the approval of creation more than creator, it falls apart. That's why That's why, it's called pretend because it's a pre-ending and so jesus comes on the scene and he says your motives matter and i know when your heart is off and because you're not secure enough in your place in me you're trying to get your place approval from them and he says that's that's off because what's happening here is you're the one who's seeking praise when really the praise belongs to me. And that's why he says what he does in verse 2. Okay, so that's, that's the whole, again, next week when we talk about praying, we may do prayer two weeks, that's going to be the whole why behind the what. He's saying you, you, we don't do these things to get other people's approval. We do this from God's approval, not for his approval, from God's approval. He's going to say the same thing when we get into fasting. So he says, okay, now let's get brass tacks. Let's get down to how we actually live this out. So uh, Matthew 6, 2, he says, okay, so... When you give, now key word, when, not if, not if you feel like it, not if you had a good week and you got some good commission. He says, when you give, like, it's not an option. It's not okay to not to. When you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets. And again, I try to go back and like study like his, the historical context of this to see like if... As this is happening, like people are giving in the streets and in the synagogue and they just like have a trumpet and somebody when they hear the money go in, they're just But like most I could find was like that's not actually what going is going on there. So I think Jesus is speaking metaphorically and I think he's getting at kind of the same terminology that we use of like don't toot your own horn. When you give, don't toot your own horn. Don't post about it. Don't share it. It doesn't need to find its way even into your, your your stories. It's it's supposed to be something that is motivated out of seeking God's approval, not other people. And so, because it's not about their approval, they don't have to know about it. So he says, don't toot your horn. Don't announce it with trumpets. He says, the people who do that, he labels them as hypocrites. Ooh, there's that word. Some of you, this is your first time back to church in a while because there were too many hypocrites. Some of you, have, how many, like, I'm not gonna ask anybody to raise hands, but we've left churches before, right? Because everybody there was a hypocrite. Two-faced. And I, look, man, like, I, I'll be the first to admit, like, I, I will apologize for the hypocrisy in the modern church. There is. And a lot of that is from this role. Guys, who get, and that's why I, like, I love what I get to do, but there are days when I don't like it because there's, there's times when I wanna act like I'm not saved. Things happen. And you're like, man, it'd just be easy to say what I really wanna say, but Jesus is doing stuff in here, and I can't. So he says, the people who do that, who long to see what type of applause they can get from everybody else, those people are hypocrites. And that comes from this, this term that was used in, in Greek, um, in the plays, the Greek and Roman plays. A hypocrite was a actual role on the stage. And it was somebody who, a lot of times, they didn't have a ton of actors, and so one person would play a role where their mask was off, and then in order to go play another role, they would have to put the mask on to go play that role. And in um, theater, that's fine. But in the context of a Christian community, We're supposed to be family. That's not good. We're supposed to be our most authentic, right, true, perfect before God selves in front of each other. So when I go put a mask on to be something I'm not, well, that means I'm actually looking for something that I can't find when I am demasked. And God goes, hey, I need you to be you. He's going to, in a second, talk about why he needs you to be you, to be who he's creating you to be. Because in this passage, he, you know, he says, okay, don't announce him with trumpet. That's what hypocrites do. They do it in the streets, and they do it to be honored by others. Now, that word honored by others really means they do that in order to get praise from other people. Now, if you know what our role is, as far as Christ followers, it is definitely not to get praise for us. We, we exist as ones to praise God. So, we, we exist as vessels. Now who have been given the love of Jesus Christ, we exist to give that praise back. And so any praise that may even come to me, we have to learn to be very good reflectors of anything that comes, to just let it come here and then bounce straight up. So he says, okay, um, you're doing those things to be seen by others. They're announcing it with trumpets. They're doing it to be honored by others, to get praise to them. And again, that goes against your identity. I'm not a recipient of praise. I'm a recipient of grace. Grace. That is my, the primary thing that I, re, I should receive in my life. It's grace and the mercy of God. Praise, that goes back up. He says, truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. How many of you like donuts? <laughs> Quick turn, yeah, stay with me. Y'all like donuts? Okay. I'm not gonna give this to anybody. Ooh, this is one of the good ones. All right. Mm. Okay. So there's a place across the street. It's called McDonald's. I highly recommend you go there. Maybe after church. They actually have like breakfast food and stuff too. You can get a really good brunch. You can go in between services. Uh, Don't show up late though. Um, But this place called McDonald's, awesome donuts. All right. Now listen, I'm already hungry. Like I I just, I have a, a big, strong country boy appetite and I just long to eat food. Okay. Some of you already have that appetite going right now, and you're like, I wish you'd just shut up, talking about donuts, you already got one on stage. I can see the bacon glistening. Would you just wrap this thing up? Um, This is the advantage of being online. You can go press pause and go get a snack. Um, (laughs) All of us, you have a raging appetite inside of you for approval. And the only way we'll ever be satisfied is you get that approval from God. What he's saying here is when you seek to get that approval from people, it's like eating this. And so, like, man, you say I want to bite. And this is beginning to satisfy my hunger. Like it feels good. The bacon tastes amazing. It's got this maple stuff on there, it's good. Fluffy. It's kinda of a little stale because it's been up here on stage. You know, it's not like the hot sign on it. Krispy Kreme. And this is good. And it's gonna temporarily satisfy my appetite. But do you know what I still need? I still need lunch. Yeah, I I still need to get this glazed stuff out of my mustache. What I'm trying to say here is when Jesus says that when you do that, your reward, you've already gotten it. He's saying what happens there is God stops cooking the meal he was preparing for you. Now, he's your loving father. He's still going to provide the ultimate thing that you need, which is salvation in Christ. But the platter he was making, he's going, I can't deliver that to you now. And it's not because I don't want to. It's because you would rather take a bite of a donut than have the spread I offer. Have the reward of being at an intimate table, across the table, relationship with me. That's the real reward. It's not getting stuff. It's getting the Father, knowing that you have his attention. You have his eye. You have his son's attention. You have the Holy Spirit to walk with you throughout the day. He said, when you trade, doing these things in secret to not be seen by any other people, but when you have somebody when they see you, when you're getting ready to go give something to that person on the side of the road, and you wait, you know, you're in the parking lot, you see the guy, you wait for like somebody else in the office to kind of get out of their car and go across you, and you're like, okay, now let me get out there. And then, you, and then you, and you give it to the person on the way in, and that person goes, oh, you're just so generous. Way to go, man. That's, you're, again, your Father in heaven who is longing to reward you now goes, you just got it. That's where it begins and that's where it ends, right there in that moment. Now that's, that's tough because what we're trading, we're trading donuts and, and Twinkies for a spread from the Father. We're, tra- we're trading it for the meat of, of growing into a deeper relationship with him because we would just rather know that we have the approval of man. And that's the problem with the approval of man. What do you do when you're addicted to approval and that approval from man runs out? See, I think so much of the chaos and the craziness we see in our day and age right now is because there are people, there are kids, there are teenagers, there's men, there's women, there's people all over the world right now who are craving the approval of others. And you've never seen stuff crazy happen until somebody's approval starts to run out. You guys don't know this about me. Well, some of you may know this about me. I've maybe shared this before. But uh, before I uh, became a pastor, I actually was a bouncer at a nightclub um, in Atlanta. Uh, It was called Club Europe. Uh, It was uh, pretty crazy. Um, And so one of the things that I got to witness there was people getting thrown out of the nightclub. Now, more often than not, if someone was getting closed or, or getting thrown out of the club, it was because they had gotten shut down from getting alcohol. They got closed off by the bar. They did something stupid, you know, touched somebody, did whatever. Did something, talked back, talked to somebody, did something, whatever, and they got shut down. You never seen people act crazy when somebody who's addicted gets told they can't have it anymore because you're really willing to go to crazy lengths to get it. He says, there's something better for you. You don't have to, young, young women in the room, I, I'm sorry that... Um, that maybe you haven't had an older, wiser, whether it be a grandfather or a father, give you the deep approval from a man that you really need. But, daughter of Christ, please don't let out of the deficiency of feeling that human approval, go get the approval and do things that you know you don't really want to do in order to feel a certain way from somebody else. Men in the room, and maybe this is coming from the same place of a father wound. Um, you actually do care. In a world where every rap song, every rock song, every pop song, every country song, and almost everything on the radio and comedy and everything else tries to tell men, the more tough you will be, is defined by how little you can care. It's garbage you really do care what people think about you. And for me, as I've had relationships and conversations with men, honestly, the telltale sign that I'm really finally around somebody who really does care about what other people think about them because they're the first person to go, I don't care what people think about me. I just say what I wanna say. I'm gonna go like, you struggle the most. (laughs) I've watched that be the case time and time and time and time again because I've been that guy. I've pretended that way. So Jesus comes on the scene and goes, I have something better for you. I have a fountain that won't run dry and because you're getting the approval of your heavenly father. So he walks through and kind of rounds out this verse. He says, uh, if, you, if you're doing that, you're doing those things to be noticed by other people, you're getting your reward in full. And then in the uh, third verse, he says, but when you give. Now he says, okay, this is how you do it in regards to giving. He says, now when you give, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Again, you've heard this verse before. We go, okay, well, the, you know, uh, the bad misinterpretation. This is how you hear some people take this. You know, it goes off and like, I've got to do everything that I do ever for Jesus in secret and nobody can ever know. And it's the, you know, your grandmama gives you a $1,000 to go on a mission trip and you come back from the mission trip and she goes, how'd the mission trip go? And you go, grandmama, I cannot let my right hand know what my left hand was doing, I can't tell you. Um, and she's going to go like, you're crazy, I'm never giving you money again. Like, that's dumb. That's not what this verse is talking about. Because, again, you got to... This is, a problem. this is a problem with, with church and Jesus, and, and that's not a problem with Jesus, but it's how we interpret following Jesus is we become people who are defined, um, I heard one pastor call it TikTok theology. We take one minute sound bites and verses of the Bible and we pull these out and we try to make our whole Christian worldview about one thing we don't put everything in context. What Jesus says in his passage, he said, I wanna show you both sides of the coin. In Matthew 5, you're the salt and the light of the world. You're gonna do things in this world and I'm gonna need you to be bold and brave and to allow those things to be known by other people because they're gonna see those things and praise me. Also, I'm gonna need you to not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. So what he's getting at here is in those moments, where you are tempted to hide, I'm gonna need you to show. So he's saying show where you're tempted to hide and hide where you're tempted to show. That's what this verse means. It doesn't mean you gotta keep everything a secret. It says in those moments where you would be tempted to tell people, I oh, no, mm, no, like, when, they, when somebody goes, hey, um, your kids are really well behaved. What's, what's going on there? When you'd be tempted to just go like, yeah, I don't know, and, and not tell them. We can go, hey, we re- re- read God's word every single night. I've been praying for those kids since I was 18 years old, that they would walk in the path that God has for them. And I give him all the credit. I-, I don't know what I'm doing as a parent, but I believe God is parenting them way better than I ever could. That's where he's saying, you show where you'd be scared to hide. And then, uh, like the person who did it for me when I was a kid, uh, when I was trying to teach this verse to, to my son, as we were doing while I was just talking about, you know, reading and going through, scripts, going through stuff, um, I had this experience. So um, my, my parents got divorced, and I had, uh, it, it was Christmas time, and somebody just dropped off an envelope with $300 in my mailbox, no return address, no name, no nothing, not even from a church, none of that type of stuff. And we were plugged into a church, and I think, some, I think some people at that church, they knew the situation. If I had to guess, put money on it, maybe bet a little bit, I would say that somebody from the church is the one who dropped that money off in our mailbox. But they did it for no approval. They did it for no recognition. And this is before Facebook and Instagram, so they weren't even gonna get a chance to see my mom post the pictures from Christmas morning and go, I did that. They just did it out of the genuineness of the heart. They didn't let their right hand know what their left hand was doing. Now, what Jesus is saying here, when he makes it personal, because he was talking about the people on the outside watching what you're doing, now he takes it to you. The point he's making here is you've gotta take two people out of the equation when you practice your righteousness, whether it's giving, praying, or fasting. You gotta take two people out, everybody else and yourself. So when he says don't let your right hand know what your hand is doing, it's go, it, it, what he's saying is you do it and then you pretend like you didn't do it. You do it. And then don't ever circle back to this moment right here to justify some other sin that you're getting ready to do. Well, God, I, I, well, I, I lied, so, but, but ma'am, remember all that money I gave to that church. Remember all the money I gave to those people in Haiti. Well, I really am a good person. No, there's no such thing as good people. We need grace people. So he's saying, don't let your left hand know what you're right and doing. He's saying, don't come back to this moment and try to leverage this to justify something else later. Just give it with no motives except to glorify and honor God. Use this as a demonstration that I am right before God. He says, when you do this, verse 4, he says, so that your giving may be in secret, then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. That's what I'm after. That reward. That reward right there. Now, (laughs) <laughs> the the, the $64,000 question here is, oh, does that mean I get more money? Like if I'm gonna give this away, do I get more back? Is that the reward we're talking about? Like if I do it and I keep everybody secret and I don't use it for my advantage and I don't feel really good about myself or justified about myself, like what reward what, what, what are we talking about here? From the financial thing, I'll ask you this question. Um, if you were God, would you give you more money? Based off of how you, what you do with it. Somebody said yes. They're just like, I just want more money. I don't care. <laughs> so, like, for real, though, like, if you were God, would you give you more money? Like, would you let that be a reward based off of how you've done everything that you've done with every dime you've ever been given? See, most of us in the room, like, we just go, Mm-mm. Maybe if I figured some stuff out, maybe if I changed some things around right now, and again, I think those could be good things. But most of us will go, no, I, I probably wouldn't. Which, to me, that takes the emphasis off the reward being money. See, when we talk about God's rewards, the most amazing thing that we could ever experience is more of God, knowing more of his identity, knowing more of who he is. Because when we know that, then we are secure because we know we have the God who owns it all, has it all, and is sovereign over it all. Again, that's why I talked about some of us have a very low view of God and a very high view of sin. And we think that our sin can just DQ us from all these things that God could give us. No. If we're in faith, then we get those things back. If we put our trust in him, if we're living out that righteousness, we're doing those things in that way, he says, I own it all have it all, and I'm sovereign over it all. It's not about what I give you, but it's about who I've already given you and my son. Because, friends, at one point in time, we were all the needy one. We were all the desperate beggar. I think some of us in the room, we've been saved for a long time. We forget how broken and messed up we were before we were saved. I think sometimes we forget how jacked up and messed up our lives would be, our family would be, our grandkids would be, our kids would be had we not met Jesus So man, if you play out how it would have turned out had you not met him, yeah, you're in great need. And what he has paid you, it's inexhaustible. And that's, that's the reward that's there. And my, my fear is that we would we would be trading the donuts of human approval for the rewards that God can give us. And I don't know, I, I, I can't wait to see what that looks like as a church. I feel like we've already seen some of it as a congregation because you're incredibly generous, MCC. Um, maybe if you're new here, you don't really know this, but 16% of every dollar that ever, come, ever comes into MCC goes directly to local and global missions to go meet the needs of not just our own congregation here, but the local needs in our city. And I, I've served on a bunch of different churches. Like, that's that's not common at all. Maybe if there is a percentage, it's somewhere in the range of like 5 to maybe 10. There's nobody that I know that's going out at 16, 17. I don't say that to pat us on the back and say, way to go, you're doing a great job. I just say, I think some of what people feel when they come here, I think some of what God is doing by allowing us to go through a season of COVID and to remain healthy is because he sees a group of people who have got their priorities in line. And I pray that we don't mess that up. Here's what I know about need and giving. I know that God's not up in heaven, just just arms crossed, just racking his brain, just going, I wish those people down there in McDonough would just start being a little bit more generous so that my will could be done down there. I know he's not doing that. What he's doing is he's going, man, I I see those people down there in McDonough Christian Church. I see those people. I want them to be uh, salt and light. I want them to be a city on a hill that can't be hidden. But if they don't, I'll find somebody else. He's a father with a heart for the city. He's a a father with a heart for the broken. See, we can either be a part of his plan that he's doing or, or we can just miss out on it. And I, I don't want us to miss out on that. I can't wait to see what he does. And that's why I invite you to be generous. That's why I invite you to not go if I give, but go when I give. To do it in secret and know that your Father who sees what's done in secret will reward you. Now, when we talk about rewards, you got to know this. God will not reward the person you're pretending to be. And so you gotta get this person out of the equation, out of the picture. And I don't know who that is. There may be a person you pretend to be at work that's not really who you are. There may be a person you pretend to be here at church that's not really who you are. But God wants to bless you, all the way you. Not fake you, not work you, not sports you, not high school you, not I'm around my college buddies you, not on Facebook you or Instagram you. He wants to bless real you. And he's not gonna do that until you are getting those things out of the way. Because if he did bless you in those moments, he'd just throw you further and further into an identity that's not his. So he's not gonna do that. That's so why I love this this last verse that we're gonna close with. It's First John 3, 16 through 18. It's heavy. So lean in, we'll land here. You ever heard that song, um, I Wanna Know What Love Is? Yeah. Oh, <laughs> Everybody who's over 35 in the room said yes. (laughs) All the younger kids are like, no. I've heard the remix. Um, 1 John 3.16. Everybody knows John 3.16. 1 John 3.16 is a really good one as well. This is what it says. This is how we know what love is. Not a feeling or an emotion. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. That's it. Now, he doesn't leave it there. Jesus did something. This is, <laughs> this is what's so wild about our life as followers of Jesus. For some reason, like thousands of thousands of churches all around the southeast, specifically in the United States, is kind of our jam. Jesus did it all. The end. Jesus, did it. Jesus is so great. He's so good. Jesus, you're amazing. You're awesome. Jesus, 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 Jesus. And we leave it there. Now, again, all of that is 100% true. What is love? Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. That's love. That's love. Love is not, I love you, Jesus. Love is not, Jesus loves me. Love is Jesus loves me, laid down his life for me, and I'm gonna lay down my life for others. This is what we've been talking about. We come back and back and back to this. As we've been going through the Sermon on Mount, we follow a cross-shaped gospel that God on the vertical plane has connected us to him, reconciled us to him through Jesus on the cross. Now, we live on the horizontal plane of that to reconcile the world to that God in unity and togetherness. He says, okay, because God has loved you, Now you go love others. That love will be made self-evident when you're willing to lay down your life for others because that's exactly what the Jesus, who is now living inside of you, did for you. Verse 17. If anyone has material possessions, sees his brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? That's tough, right? So so this this is why he says be careful, guys. Because you're not just missing out on some, some, some good, good news. You're not just missing out on some good attributes of following Jesus. He says, if, how can you say, and this is where he's calling us hypocrites, you're a, you're a big fat hypocrite if you say that love of Christ is in you, but when you see someone who is in need, you just go, there's jobs everywhere. If they really want a job, they could have a job. Jesus is going, do you really know that's their story? Or are you just assuming that's their story? I don't know. It's tough. He says, if anyone has material possessions, sees a brother or sister in need, and has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? And then, in such a loving kind of way, John is, is um, one of Jesus' disciples. He's older in his life at this point. And I love this about John. And in, in, in first, first, second, third John are amazing passages to read because John is like that old. You ever been around old people? And like, sometimes you have to be like, Grandma, you can't say that. you know what I mean like that's like some of that is kind of John in this passage that's why like that's why you you heard that whole verse about like you know when he says how can you say you have the love of Christ in you but you're not willing to help somebody who's in need like he's the old man not pulling any punches right here and I love it because at the end of his life he says I have nothing to lose I'm stuck on this island of Patmos I'm gonna die here all my other buddies they at least got to you know you know they give they, they gave their life in all these different places got to go to I'm stuck on this island he says well I'm gonna write what I need to write and then he gets a little bit more into grandpa mode and he says dear children let us not love with words or speech but with actions and with truth he says be true don't be pretend love with actions love with truth when you give let it the motives matter let them be true now some of you here you hear all this and you're like that's great. Some of you, there's not a generous bone in your body because you have not fully understood the generosity of Christ and what he gave for you. And today you need to put your faith and your trust in him. You need to recognize yourself as the needy person. Quit striving to, you're not going to be able to build an empire that's going to save you. You're not going to be able to build a life that's going to sustain you for all eternity. At some point in your life, the trap door is going to fall out and all your stuff that's here is just going to still be here and you're not going to be here anymore. And you're going to stand before God and Give an account for what you did with His Son Jesus. So my hope is that you put your faith and your trust in Him. If you have not, you can do that today. I'd love to walk through what that would look like for you. Come talk to me afterwards, or or write down on that uh, next step card that I want to take the next step of put my faith in Christ or getting baptized. And for the rest of us in this room, go be neat. Go, go give to somebody this weekend. You know, there's all sorts of different ways to be creative about this. You know, do the thing where you buy something, go through it. You know. Again, be nice to people at fast food places. Uh, go through the drive thru. Pay for somebody's stuff behind you. Pay for the person in front of you. Be generous. May you see somebody in need. Don't assume the worst. Believe the best. Be generous. Watch what God would do with a group of people who live that way out, who do it in secret, don't care about the rewards. Just go, just give. And I can't wait to see how God rewards you in that. As we get ready to round this thing out and the Band comes back up to lead us, um, we're going to go into a time of communion. And what I love about. <laughs> Entering into a communion after talking about this, is this is where we see this on display. Is is that we don't have a God in Jesus who just, you know, either stayed in heaven or came down here and went, I love you guys so much. Really, I'm really proud of you. I I die for you, I live for you, catch your grenade for you. But then does nothing. And there has to be a cross for there to be a gospel. There has to be a body broken and blood poured out for there to be reconciliation. And that's what he offers and that's what he gives. And when we come to these moments, that's what we receive. That his motivation was to glorify God so that you could be a part of the family of God. And as you receive that communion today, I pray you see love in action. And it leads you to action as well. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for the gift of your grace gift of your love and the gift of immense providence giving us God way more than we could ever need so many of us in this room God we have an absolute abundance and we need not more of anything else but more of you and maybe that means we have to let go of some things we have to give away some things we have to trade in some things move out of some things Lead us to that, if that be your will, Jesus. Help us not to fool ourselves, Jesus, in thinking that we uh, we have your love in us when we're not willing to love those around us. And through your kindness, God, lead us to change. Be patient with us. I believe you will. To let MCC, God, and the people of it be a city on a hill here in McDonough and around the world, in your name, amen.